Hello, Jonathan here again from the communications team in Vancouver with the second episode of the TK podcast. Jingle, 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 jingle. I'm not sure that the second ever episode of anything can be a special episode. Can it, Solomon? Can we call this a special episode? I'm not sure, actually. Anyway, today we're talking about Ice Ice Baby. Boom, 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 boom. By the way, Solomon, don't put any copyright music in this. You know, the legal team don't like it. You got it. Ice Ice Baby. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Is there 11 types of ice? Or 20, 21. There's 20. 21 different types of ice, and each 21 then can be subdivided into anything between four and six, depending on what your flavour of ice is. So if you've got frazzle ice, sheet ice, pancake ice, uh, brash ice, first year, multi year, you name it. I remember Bergy Bits. Is Bergy it? Bits. Yeah. yeah. Do you hear the way I say, yeah, there? I remember Bergy Bits. Is Bergy it? Bits. Yeah. yeah. How proud am I that I know about Bergy Bits? Ice might be too narrow a focus, but we are talking Yamal Yamal Baby. No, that doesn't really work. Anyway, Yamal LNG Project is, in my uneducated shipping opinion, the most interesting TK project for a long time. Not just on the shipping, operations, and marine HR side and we will get to those soon, and they are super interesting. But also, it's about nation building, about geopolitics, global energy futures. As Artemi Smagan, first engineer, shared with us a couple of years ago. And I'm always telling to them that they are lucky, that uh, now they will be involved in so huge project. And this is not only TK project, this is project for the Mad Russia. (laughs) Maybe they will test. Yes, for Mother Russia. Now, this ain't no politics podcast, so let's get down to what we know best. For the last couple of years, we've been following the build of these Arc 7 Ice Class LNG behemoths in Korea. Two delivered so far, four more coming down the pipe in 2019. A new building pipe. Is that a thing? I don't know. Should it be a slipway? Interestingly, we have Yamal touch points across TK and we'll be catching up with our Sunderland office later in the episode. But first, we begin in the gas office in Glasgow. And who better to find out from what's what, Yamal Wise, than James Thompson Esquire, our in-house ice expert from the top of the show. James is the Yamal operations project manager and, well, let's just get James to take us back to the very beginning of the operations project. I caught up with him when I was passing through the Glasgow office in October There's a lot of juicy content, so today we'll focus on the project itself. Next time, we'll discuss our people on ice. So James, how did it all begin? So we started in our project in September 2014, when uh, Ian Ralph, the Vice President of Ops, invited me into his office, uh, handed me a blank piece of paper, and he said, essentially, James, go away and source out the operational protocols involved in uh, operating and maintaining Arc 7 icebreakers in the Arctic Circle. How many hundreds of hours or thousands of hours was it to put that piece together? Uh, it was best part of 26,500 man hours to put together the Polar Water Operating Manual. It involved uh, 
47 organisations and 175 individuals within those uh, organisations to get us to the stage where we had a document that was fit for purpose for operating in the Arctic Circle, mm. which was uh, heavily endorsed by both the Canadian and United States Coast Guards uh, and also by uh, the Arctic Council, which have obviously have, they've got a massive say in what goes on in the Arctic region. Yeah, and then s since then, since you've been operating in it, has it worked? Like, is it fit for purpose, or have you had to revise it a lot? Or did, you, did you get it right first time? We didn't get it right first time, absolutely not. Um, I don't think you get anything right at the first time of asking. We certainly got about 95% of it right. Mm. Um, but we've had to make some tweaks. We've had to make some tweaks around some of the operating procedures. We, before we even put the PPE into play on board the ships. Mm. We had Arctic explorers walk across the Antarctic wearing our PPE for six weeks. Uh, and they came back and said everything was good with the exception of a couple of things and one of them was a boot. Mm. So we, we changed the boots, we changed some mittens. Uh, but other than that, the, the boys and the girls who serve on certainly two of the ships now, uh, the Edward Toll and the Rudolf Samoilovich, they, they seem content with what we've, what we've done. But would I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm no engineering guy or, or ship expert, but would, would a landlubber like me notice the difference between an ARC-7 and a normal LNG in terms of even the accommodation block or the shape of the ship or the... Absolutely. You know, so like the, ship, the ship's been strengthened um, from front end through the back of the ship. Uh, you know, it's got additional steel on it. It's got the traditional... Um, shallow coverture hull yeah. in terms for riding up over the ice ridges yeah. um, but also the ships if you put them side by side a conventional DFDE for argument's mm. sake versus an ARC-7 uh, whilst the length is still the same the actual girth the breadth of the ship is six metres wider oh, okay. uh, you'll also identify straight away an ARC-7 from the other classes of ships that we have in service because they've got two bridges one forward and one aft and that's because they go in both directions? They go in both directions. And, and has, have they been doing that? Or, I mean, has the ice been thick enough that yeah, they've needed to? Absolutely. So Edward Tall, she's broke ice at 1.87 metres thick. Ship's designed to break ice at 2.1. Wow. So uh, they've gone astern. And the Edward Tall was the first vessel in Arctic history to transit the Sabeta Channel unaided, 137 nautical miles astern. Wow. So we've had a lot of firsts as an organisation in the Arctic Circle. And were you very nervous, like waiting by your phone here in the office, like as they did that, if they uh, were unaided or it was... Absolutely no, no, because the ships have been designed to operate in ice. They've been designed to operate unaided, either forward or astern, i.e. that double acting motion that they've got. But also, they, we've got highly trained crews on board. You know, regardless whether you're an Arc 7 or indeed any one of our other vessels, they're all highly trained. Mm -hmm. uh, and with that, and with the skill base that these guys have developed over that period of time, albeit it's only been a short period of time in ICE, it gave us the full confidence. You know, Owen Brannigan, the vessel manager, he had constant updates from the captain as to where they were. And yes, whilst the Russians have got uh, ice-breaking tugs, except in the vicinity, she was the first one to do it. She was also the first one to transit across the Northern Sea route east to west. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's so we're doing fantastic. a lot of firsts. We're doing, we're, you know, we're doing, you know, whilst ice is ice is ice, people look at me and say, well, types of ice, and, and you give them examples of types of ice. 
but you know your mall or customer are looking at is looking at and using TK as the preferred operator out of the four owners in that area to go and scope the vessels for going through the Canadian Northwest Passage, which we're actively engaged with now with a lot of um, organisations in in, within the Canadian government and also uh-huh. within the, the ICE fraternity in Canada, and FedNav being one, yeah. Canadian Coast Guard being another. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's mm. fantastic. Um, talking about ice, the last time, again, I talked to you, you, you regaled me with all the different types of ice yeah. that you'd had to learn. I think, is there 11 types of ice? Or something? 20, 21. There's 20. 21 different types of ice, and each 21 then can be subdivided into anything between four and six, depending on what your flavour of ice is. So if you've got frazzle ice, sheet ice, pancake ice, uh, brash ice, first year, multi-year, you name it. I remember Bergy Bits, is Bergy it? Bits, yeah. yeah. Um, Growlers. Do you, do you have the guys on board learned, you know, to note to, to be able to identify certain types of ice? Is that, Absolutely, are they ice so. experts now. Well, they're, they're slowly but surely getting there. I wouldn't say they're completely ice experts because I don't think you become an expert having just done one, mm. one full year in service. Yeah. I think it's going to take a number of years for them to, to gain that knowledge. That blended with the Russian ice pilots that we put on board to mm. help them to learn, but also to help them navigate. Um, will stand them in good stead and now you know they can start seeing the the benefits of that training because they can you quite rightly say they can uh, identify bergibits uh, growlers pancake ice sheet ice etc etc and how then how that the ship will react to to the different changing conditions from ice because you could be in flat ice for four nautical miles and then just turn ever so slightly and then you could be hit with a whole heap of brash ice and berge bits. But the key thing is, when you're in ice, the first rule of navigation for ice is to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. And uh, has the ice been what you've expected, or is I mean, global warming and all of this stuff? Is it? Have you found that the ice has been less severe than? So global warming has been, as you rightly say, has has had an effect on the ice, and the ice is definitely getting thinner, which means then that these ships when they were designed to come out of Sabetta and turn left and go through down through the Norwegian Gap to go to Rotterdam, will become less and less most likely as the years go go forward. Because then, with the ice being thinner, they can transit through the Northern Uh, Sea Route and take away that 55-day voyage and still become a 14- to 16-day voyage. And have any of the vessels been stuck yet? Or, or you know, there was this thing which is, well, if you go on board, you've got to be careful. You've got to plan for a six-week trip in case you get stuck. So... Has there any been problems at all? No, we've uh, we've encountered obviously just some some thick ice where the where the masters have had to do some creative manoeuvrabilities. But other than that, uh, they've certainly not been beset. If, that, if that's what you're mm. looking for, the ships have not been beset in ice, um, and we don't foresee that happening at all. We, with the infrastructure that's set up now, up in the Arctic Circle with uh, our Russian colleagues with our nuclear icebreakers and nuclear tugs. Etc. Cetera, et cetera. And there's more and more Arc Sevens going across that right. region. Then you know, the days I think of ships getting stuck in ice for for weeks at an end, I don't think are going to manifest themselves somehow. Mm. So in two years' time, you'll have seven, six vessels. Six, six. In fact, and now it'll be in twelve months because the ships have been advanced now. Now that's right. Because so train two of of the Yamal project has been come on 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 steam no on, st- on stream on, on stream yep. quicker than they were yep. expecting yep. and so the vessels are in demand and so you're actually speeding up the new build program Correct. so 
The two ships that should have been delivered, uh, so we should have had two ships deliver in 2019, October, November, and two ships deliver in January, February 2020. All four ships now will go initial acceptance in 2019 and, and most likely will deliver. So we're gearing up now here within TK Glasgow to deliver in May, August, October and November the last four vessels. Wow. So it's pretty exciting times for us. So really, if you look at it from a delivery schedule, everything's been advanced anything between six and eight months, mm. depending on where you, that ship is in the programme. So fast forward mm. then, let's say 2022, everything's working nice and smoothly as I'm sure it will. Life's going to be pretty boring for you, isn't it? No, absolutely not. The ships uh, are on a two and a half year docking cycle. So oh, by really? the time by the time the last ship gets delivered in November next year, the first ship Edward Toll will be starting her preparations for her first um, dry dock. Wow! So two and a half years over the whole twenty five year cycle. Over the entire, they'll, they'll dry dock ten times. Pretty much so, yeah. Wow! So it's going to be uh, it's going to be busy times. So. You know, and it's that just constant movement of, of vessels in and out of a maintenance schedule that um, it's going to give Yamal trading a slight headache because they've got 15 Arc 7s that need to do what they need to do, to do and at any one time they reckon in the Arctic Circle coming or going they're going to have 10 vessels so they've got to have to have downtime for, for at least 5 of them Wow that's an exciting project. Yeah, it is. It's been, it's, been, it's been an amazing journey, Jonathan, to be perfectly honest. The last four years have just flown in. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been a lot of long hours done by the team. You know, there's 26 of us involved in, in Glasgow, along with Captain Roger Barber, you know, who proved invaluable with his services towards the, the Polar Water Operating mm. Manual. And like I said, 40-plus organisations, 175 different individuals, all pulling to support TK and you know to, to give you some sort of flavour of what we were dealing with we were dealing with uh, people in our St John's office we were dealing with people who'd served on on the Matterhorn Spirit you know these guys had mm -hmm. ice time right all the offices right across the entire TK spectrum um, mm -hmm. had an input somewhere along the line out with all the agencies that we dealt with in the Russian Russian government and it was the full spectrum of the Russian government Minister of Transport the government uh, their security services, uh, their military, mm -hmm. uh, everything, even the Kremlin. Yeah, what a journey. Well, thanks very much. That's very interesting. I've been following along all the way. And uh, of course, we love to see the photos of the ship in the ice and the video of the ship going through ice. So if you can keep providing that, Absolutely. Be I think uh, you have to pay credit to the boys on, and the girls on board the ships. It's, they, they've taken a big vested interest yeah, in it. And I think, to be proud. honest, they are very proud. Yeah. I think all of them have thrown themselves at it. They all believe that they've embarked on a completely different journey now for TK. Uh, and we, we literally are, excuse the pun, breaking the ice for yeah. the organisation. I think we're, we're held in high esteem up there, yeah. Jonathan. You know, the Arctic Council, I had to go and brief... 200 plus delegates this year in Helsinki on our polar water operating manual mm -hmm. and they all rushed to the lectern as soon as I finished because they wanted to get their hands on it mm -hmm. um, because it is the envy of the shipping world up there it's 469 pages yeah. deep uh, it's 79 processed documents which is more than any of the other owners have done and I think between that and the way that we do our business for Yamal itself speaks volumes for us as an organisation because they keep getting us to be the first to do this, the first yeah. to do that, the first to do everything. So I think, you know, TK is a can-do attitude organisation and I think that resonates with, with Yamal.
Yeah, great. And have you been on have you been on a trip? As I mentioned before, we will have more from James talking about the human element angle of operating in the far north. Things like mittens and saunas, mental health and unvolunteering. Stay tuned. Neatly, like completing a jigsaw, one part of the TK infrastructure can often come in and support another part in providing solutions to customer projects and problems. And this, I believe, is when we all shout in a chorus, one TK, baby! We have to work on that, Solomon. You may have heard in the trade press and on Yammer that Yamal LNG is introducing ship-to-ship transfers of cargoes just outside the Arctic Circle. Hmm. Do we know of anyone who can assist in that? Bingo! And welcome to the podcast, our colleagues in Sunderland, in the north of England, LNG SDS. Part of my trip in the UK recently took me through to one of those smaller outposts where I asked lots of stupid questions about LNG SDS. What does the acronym stand for? How do you do it? Why is it different to normal LNG operations? And where is the work, etc.? More on those stupid questions and the patient responses of our resident experts in another episode when I will introduce you more formally to the LNG team. For now, we will jump straight into an overview of the Yamal STS project with Stuart Goddard, our LNG STS head honcho, and Matthew Russell, operations and assurance manager. Oh, and by the way, the spooky echo on the recording is not your headphones faulting out. The Sunderland office is located in a late Victorian era house with four to five meter ceilings. Every noise made starts bouncing around the walls and ceilings like an echo, echo, chamber, chamber. Unless Solomon the sound guru can work out some magic in the process, please bear with us. My conversation with Stuart finished with the topic of Yamal STS operations. Um, so, well, let, let's, that leaves us with this big, hulking <laughs> shadow of a project coming coming at the end of 2018, Yamal LNG STS. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I said also TK project in that we have the six um, ice class vessels on that project, plus, uh, I'm not sure, I think one um, non-ice class vessel that will mm-hmm. work on the project. So. Tell us about that. How did that happen? And what's what's happening with it? And what do you expect to happen? <laughs> we, we've always sort of spoke to Yamal about things, and you know we've had ideas in the past. But they actually approached us about seven months ago. Said, right, we're actually seriously looking at this. Um, we proposed Scapa Flow as a location, but they wanted to do it a little bit closer up to home, as it were. So we're looking at carrying out operations in Honningsvag in um, northern Norway. So. Hollingsvag was chosen because it's actually quite, again, it's a sheltered location with quite benign conditions most of the time. So it enables a better um, frequency of operations. So, you know, Yamal were looking at it originally and they said, what can we do? So we sort of helped them sit down. We we worked with the uh, ship owners and operators and the managers. And we're um, sort of developing the procedures and processes in order to enable the operations to commence. Now, I mean, initially it was just a little bit of high level work. As we did more work into it, I think Yamal sort of looked at it and said, well, actually, this could be really beneficial for us because it saves them going down to Montoire, for example, to do a cross the jetty transfer. Mm-hmm. It saves the ships about, 
between six and eight days steaming the Arc 7 ones, so it's a big saving for your mal, yeah. especially with the second train coming online. Yeah. So, you know, it's sort of developed from there, and now we, we, we've got all the approvals to do the operations in Honningsvag, working with a local partner uh, who's a Norwegian uh, company. Um, you know, we've worked with the Amal, we've worked with all the ship owners and operate, literally all the ship owners and operators have been in touch with us over the last couple of weeks. Okay. <laughs> to say, well, we want in on this, can we get in on this? Okay. By the way, I was shivering throughout my conversation with Stuart, the thought of working outdoors doing LNG ops in the cold. But in related weather news... Did you know that northern Norway in the winter is not that cold? I think the coldest temperature in Honningsvag is not... The lowest it got to in the last 25 years was like minus seven. Okay, back to Stuart and introducing Matthew Russell as they discuss the scale of the Yamal LNG SDS project. Prepare to say, whoa, like I did several times. And, and how many operations are you talking about? Um, so it's a big project in the industry. It's the biggest of its kind that's ever been sort of contemplated. So in November, we may be looking at between uh, two and four operations. Yeah. December, we're probably looking around 10 operations. And then January, they're looking to go to 24 operations in three separate locations in Honningsvag. Whoa. <laughs> so you're talking almost a daily thing. So that's, a, that's at a scale that you've never seen before. No, and nobody's ever seen that scale before. So three simultaneous operations at the same time, which, um, you know, is essentially unheard of. In this instance, you know, you're going to be literally taking ship after ship. So it's in terms of the scale of it, it's, uh, it's, it's unprecedented. You're not just doing one operation, you know, you're repeating it and you need that ability to uh, consistently, you know, achieve the results. So that, that was it for us. It was the, the experience we have from, from the SDS, but also we said, also using our experience from... The actual terminal side of things, um, you know, we, we, we're that additional level of assurance. Yamal wouldn't do this without us being involved. Mm-hmm. They had, to, they specified that we had to be involved, otherwise these operations were not going to happen. So I think that's quite a big boost for our team. You know, that, yeah. that, that expertise has been recognised. Yeah, but that means that. You're going to open up a new office in northern Norway, is it? <laughs> well, yeah, we'll, we'll have to look at that, I think, at some point. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, it's taken uh, a lot of effort from the team, but, you know, I think we've done quite well at, quite well, and people are happy with what we've delivered so mm-hmm. far, and they're looking forward to the operations starting. But now the fun begins, now the real yeah. work begins, right? Now, now you get, start getting hands dirty and actually doing the operations, yeah. which is, you know, that's what we look forward to. That's what we enjoy doing. Yeah. So you're going to spend your winter up in North Norway, are you? Not for me, I'm afraid. No. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously sitting here doing more of the, the assurance side of things. No. So I think once the once we, I've got many many meetings scheduled with um, a lot of ship managers for this. It's because um, it's such a big project. Um, you know, there's the, there's the initial email ship managers to keep happy, but at the moment I'm running through the assurance process with uh, you know the BP, Shell, Total. Everyone, everyone who wants to be involved, basically, or everyone could obviously the, 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 the amount of cargo coming out is going to be massive. Essentially, it's like moving a an LNG terminal somewhere, somewhere like you know Rastafan to the middle of the sea to 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 do operations. So there's lots of people who want to be involved. So I think my next bit of my time is going to be the assurance, how we how we go and meet people, how we go and explain what's happening, what we're going to be doing, and, and take into account their considerations. So if not Matthew and Stuart, who will be up north this winter? Each location will have a mooring master and an LNG superintendent okay. to work on the operations. So the mooring master will be provided um, by TMS, and the superintendents will be provided by TMS. Yeah. 
So it's a two-man job. To, it's a two-man job, do definitely. An STS operation. Yeah. And so it'd be nice. We look forward to the seeing the um, TMS guys, LNG STS guys, working with our TK gas colleagues. Yeah. That's going to be a lovely project. It is, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's another project that we're working on that TK Gas are involved with. Yeah. I think we're sort of um, starting to fit in a lot more with the whole TK side of things, which I know before um, we perhaps weren't utilising or working with TK as much as we should have been and could have been. I think that started to change over the last six, seven months and we started to fit in a lot better and working as a a bigger team to deliver projects like this. Yeah, well, um, congratulations, we're looking forward to it, and uh, thanks for explaining some of the stuff to And finally, before we end, how does this STS plan work for the gas ops team in Glasgow with our Yamal seafarers? I asked James Thompson. Now they want these ice class vessels to stay in the ice more and they're going to do ship to ship transfers up in, in either northern Russia or northern Norway. So that means, I assume if that works out, that the vessels will spend even more time in the ice and more time up there. Like, how does that change your your planning around the crew and the vessel if they're going to spend even more time actually in the ice it actually doesn't change anything no. um operations will be operations crew rotations will be crew rotations and for argument's sake it actually in many many ways makes it a little bit easier because if we do go and start doing these sts operations in a place called kiaford it's in norway um, the visas become a lot easier for mm. getting nationals on and off. Mm. We don't have an issue getting our Russian colleagues off at Sabeta uh, at all, but for the sole reason that they are Russian and there's a fully functional international airport there, receiving a lot of planes, direct flights from various locations around the Russian Federation. Uh, and so really, when you say about changing times within the ice, actually they were built for the ice. So they're going yeah. where they where they right. where they're designed where they belong. Exactly. Yep, the Yamal vessels belong on and in the ice. In our next episode, we will discover if our seafaring colleagues belong there too. Do people like us do things like this? Yes, yes they do. For colleagues like Artemi, it is the challenge he wants. <laughs> Maybe they will test themselves because this is really extreme condition and you have to be strong mentally, physically, but I'm still young. I want to test myself if I'm <laughs> able to work there. If you have recommendations of who we should include in the podcast in the future, please let me know. Everyone has a story to tell. People like us who do things like this. Cheerio.